0: Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would call out to us, that this morning your word would not just be something that warms our hearts, that makes us feel good about ourselves, but Father, that this word would send us and that wherever we go, your name would be known, and people would come to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. 1954 was a big year, was the seminal year for the state of Indiana and the game of basketball. 1953, the Hoosiers won the national championship. And in 1955, Crispus Atticus became the first all-black school in the nation to win a state tournament with the great Oscar Robertson. In 1954, overshadows both of these great accomplishments. Now, it's not that Purdue won the national championship. We're still waiting on that. But 1954 is amazing because Mylan made it to the state finals. In 1953, the year before, this little school of just over 160 students made it all the way to the morning session of the state finals. Uh, An amazing accomplishment for such a small school. Made it all the way to the semifinals of the state championship, blew everyone away. And in 1954, with most of its team returning, they were expected again to do great things. And as they breezed through the regular season, everybody knew something big was gonna happen. And they made it all the way back to the state finals. And in the final, in 1954, they played Muncie Central, a school that has the record for state championships in the state. A school massive in size, especially compared to Little Milan. And through three quarters, the teams were even. Tied after three quarters. Little Milan. And as they began the fourth, Muncie took a two-point lead, which led Bobby Plump, the Mr. Basketball for that season, and the star of his team to hold the ball for almost half of the quarter. He stood there in the middle of the court, holding the ball. And when Mylan started to run their offense, they tied the game, and then they went ahead. And so here, Mylan, up two points on a giant in Indiana, up two points coming down the stretch, And then Muncie tied the score with 30 seconds to go. And Bobby Plump dribbled the ball up the court. Ephesians chapter (laughs) 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. I'd like to read it again. Paul writes to this church, in Asia, And he writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. The word grace means gift. I thought it was beautiful, the, the image of, of a gift. And the thought that there is nothing that we could do to warrant this gift. It's a gift freely given to us. And we receive it by merely believing in it. It's not by anything that we have done, but it's a gift. Now, we are here on Reformation Sunday. Salvation as grace through faith. This is what we are doing here on Reformation Sunday. We are remembering, we are calling that it is by faith we are saved, and it is a gift from God. It is nothing that we have done. Verse 9, it's not by anything that we've done, lest no one could boast. Like, this is, this is the core tenet. This is the cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. This is what um, the great Christians throughout time, this is what Martin Luther was doing, as he called out to his students in Wittenberg so long ago. We are saved by grace through faith. Lest no man should boast. Now this is a good thing. That we are saved not by what we do. But by a gift from God. I have a daily reminder of that. I live with someone who is far superior to me. And continually reminds me of my faults. Just by the way that she lives her life. Um. Daily. The other day, we had talked about the fact that we were going to have hamburgers for dinner. And I knew this cognitively in my head somewhere. And yet, as I'm suggesting different ways to defrost the burger patty that I had to make into patties, she is sitting there scratching her head, what is this silly person thinking? And then, as I'm walking out to do something else, she, she made the comment which, of course, she, you're going to start the grill, correct? And that thought had not crossed my mind yet. And So, of course, my response was, of course, I'm going to go out and start the grill. And she's left scratching her head, wondering, what is wrong with this man that I live with? <laughs> right? We all, we all have these experiences where we are reminded that left to our own devices, we're in trouble. We are all... Reminded that we do not have what it takes merely by ourselves, and if we were left by our good works, we are left by our doing to earn our salvation, we would all be in trouble. This is a great passage. This is the great hope of the Christian, that it is, God gives us freely a gift through which we can find salvation. And while this is a great passage, and while we can add nothing to we are saved by grace through faith, this is not the end of the story. This is not where Paul stops. He does not say, you are saved by grace through faith, period, and then move on to something else. This continues on. Perhaps you like music. Do we have any music fans in the room? I love music. I've constantly got some music playing. And there's one element in music which is profound and powerful. It is climax. Perhaps you've heard a song or a jingle and you stop it before the end and It's stuck in your head the rest of the day. Have you ever had that experience where, like a good neighbor, like it's just stuck (laughs) in your head? And you wonder, why is this song stuck in my head? And it's never like a really good song. It's always a song you wish wasn't stuck in your head. And you're trying to figure out, why am I singing that still? Some would say that's because you did not finish the song until it fully (coughs) resolves. That internally, your mind knows that the piece of music that you've heard has not come to its full climax, has not finished its development. Therefore, because it's not done, your mind can't get over it. It's like telling a story about Mylon and not mentioning how the game ends. Right? It's, like, it's like telling the greatest underdog story ever and finishing before Bobby Plump hits the game-winning shot. And that's important because without the detail of the game-winning shot, this story has no significance David and Goliath walk into the battle scene, and if we don't mention that David beats Goliath, it's just another underdog getting defeated by a superior team. Finishing before the story fully resolves, we leave something hanging. We are saved by grace, through faith, lest none of us can boast, is the gospel this morning. But Paul continues on. And in verse 10, he says, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's handy work; We are God's creativity, which is a reference to Genesis. It's a reference to creation. But God in the, in the heavens, the one who created everything by willing it into existence, created a world full of wholeness and peace. The Hebrew word for this is shalom. It, it's not just peace, it's not just that everything was out without conflict, but it's that everything was whole and complete. There was no error. There was no malfunction. Brokenness did not exist. This is how the world was created. And yet, we know the story that sin entered into the world. Open rebellion by God's created caused brokenness. That, this, that sin has broken creation. That God's workmanship, that God's handiwork, has broken itself. And we exist in the midst of this. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Death enters. And we have all experienced that. Genesis 3 has a list. It talks about conflict between spouses. It talks about hard work to find food. It talks about the most beautiful moment in the life, the moment of birth it comes with pain. It talks about how there's enmity between creation and humans. There's even a mention of thorns and thistles. Like the created order that God created full of wholeness and shalom and peace is now marked and marred by sin, by death, and by brokenness. So Paul begins by saying, we are God's workmanship, and he's referring to that loaded conversation. And he continues, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul says, we are saved by grace, by a gift from God, and we receive that grace through faith, lest none of us can boast. Yet, we are saved, not by our good works, but to do good works. We're not, we are, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace, but we're saved to do good works. Now Paul wasn't, was, was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. That was his background. And as a rabbi, the phrase, the word, good works, had a significant meaning for him. In Hebrew, the word was the mitzvot, When we read Paul talk about good works, he's referring to the Jewish concept of the mitzvot, which was the 613 laws found in the Torah that the Jewish people were called to live out. The the Ten Commandments are the first 10 of those 613 laws. And Paul talks about how he was really good at following the mitzvot. He was really good at following the law. We see, he says, we are saved to live out the law. We are saved to do good works. Now, there's something interesting. Another cultural point. The Jews and the rabbis talked about the tikkunam olam. The tekunum olam is the restoration of all things. Actually, we see Paul and Peter talking about this quite extensively. You, you see this pop up, the restoration of all things, when God, in the end, restores creation. Right? Like, the God who created a world full of wholeness and peace and shalom is working to restore that which has been broken back to wholeness And peace. God sees in front of him a world marred and marked by sin, death, and brokenness, and is not okay with that. He sees a world bent on destroying itself. And it's not that God has sat back in heaven and said, Well, you did it to yourself. Instead, he acts. He begins by calling a man from the town of Ur named Abram. And he says, Go to my promised land. And then he calls Abraham's descendants out of slavery in Egypt to be his people. And he gives them an identity You'll be my people, my holy nation, my kingdom of priests. And he gives them a land flowing with milk and honey. And out of that people, he calls a king. And from that king's lineage, God himself joins us. And reveals in the person of Jesus everything about God that we can know. And not just does he show up to show who God is but he dies for our sins. And God raises his son from the dead. God has not sat back and watched us spin our wheels in the sand. But God has joined us God has provided a way of salvation so that we can be saved. And in all of this, he is looking to heal and restore everything around us. And Paul would have believed that the mitzvot, that when, we, when God's people followed God and his commands, when when God's people did the good works, that they were joining Yahweh in his project of healing and restoring everything. But it's not just that God was calling his people so that he could save them, but that he was calling a people to join him in healing and restoring everything. For Paul, we were saved by grace through faith. Not by anything that we do so that none of us can boast. And we are saved so that we can do good works. And join God in healing and restoring. Our church, we are a segment of the population of the place where we live, a chosen group of people called by God to join Him in what He is doing here in Auburn and DeKalb County, Northeast Indiana. We have we have been saying